G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Do you love God? And He is God at the highest of your ordered loves, really. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today, we'll hear the message, Do you love God really? Is our relationship with God genuine? Are we drifting further away from Him? Or do we try to manipulate God in order to receive the things we desire? Because you will never, ever be all that God wants you to be. You will never, ever serve God. You will never, ever pursue God unless He's your highest love. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Glad you're with us. uh... Uh, I want to begin by having you turn to two passages of scripture. First is John 21, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 21, fourth book of the New Testament, verse 15, and hold that. And then another verse is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18. Let me say that again. John chapter 21, uh, verse 15, and then hold that, mark that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18. Now, as you're getting ready... I hope and pray that something inside you will enable you to really stop and uh, forget about everything out there, concentrate on what God is doing right here, and do a serious evaluation of your own life. What I'm about to do, folks, it's hard, but it's, it's heaven and hell stuff. It's eternity stuff. It really matters. And so I have two questions for you. The first question is this, do you love God? And he is God at the highest of your ordered loves, really. Uh, You can love a lot of things. God allows that. He encourages that. You can love the ocean. You can love the mountains. You can love your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife. Uh, Now, if you have a husband, you can't love both your husband and your boyfriend. It doesn't work like that. But you can love, uh, you can have loves in your life, right? But at the highest of that, higher than chocolate and coffee and everything else, is God. You love him most. As a matter of fact, the John 15 passage uh, is about Jesus coming and speaking with Peter. Last thing we heard about Peter, he denied Jesus three times. Do you know that in John 21, Jesus comes to confront or to restore Peter, depending on how you look at it, and he asks him three questions. You know what they are? The first question in verse 15, he says, Peter, do you love me? Now, quickly... Four words for love, agapao, unconditional love, what you know is agape, uh, unconditional, the highest love. I love you more than I do anything else, so much so that I will sacrifice, that I will follow you wherever you lead. My life is about you, and if you weren't there, I, I would miss you. I can't live life without you kind of love. So Jesus says to Peter, do you agapao, agape, do you love me like that? And you know what Peter responds? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. That's what's written in your text. It's the Greek word, however, phileo. There are four Greek words for love. Agape, unconditional love. Storge, parental love. Uh, Eros, an erotic type love. And phileo, a friendship type love. You don't notice it in your English Bible. But Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, if he agapaos, 
But Peter responds by saying, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. You know that we're mates, we're good pals. Now, why does Peter do that? Peter knows he cannot claim the authentic, highest, genuine love because if he loved Jesus unconditionally, if there were no strings attached to his love and he loved Jesus first and foremost, then when Jesus needed him most, Peter would not have denied that he even knew Jesus existed. Peter knows who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus can look into his heart. So he's not going to lie to Jesus. <laughs> you don't lie to God, you know. He knows the truth. So Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, I really like you a whole lot. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Then he asks him a second question. What is it? Peter, do you love me? Again, Jesus uses the word agapao. Am I the top of your reordered loves? Is your passion and your life all about me? And you'll love me so much that, that you can't live without me. You'll follow me wherever I lead. You'll sacrifice whatever I ask you to sacrifice because ultimately you love me. Do you love me like that? And you know how Peter responds? The second time he says, Lord, you know that I phileo. I like you a lot. We're pals. Again, Peter can't claim the highest love. So Jesus says, feed my sheep. Then you ask him a third question. You know what it is? Do you love me? This time, Jesus uses Peter's own word. He says, do you do you even like me as if we were friends? Because true friendship would not deny that you even knew your friend when he needed him most. And so Jesus questions Peter's phileo, his own friendship love. Now at this point, the Bible says Peter is grieved. It's a word, uh, lupeo, which means that he's both angry and sad. You know it's possible to be both, right? You can be angry and sad at the same time. He's angry because... Jesus is questioning whether or not he even likes him. And he's sad because he knows Jesus has a point that if you really liked somebody, you wouldn't deny them in their most volatile, most needy moment in life. That's exactly what Peter did. Why does he do that? Because you will never, ever be all that God wants you to be. You will never, ever serve God. You will never, ever pursue God if you don't love him. Unless he's your highest love, you're never going to get out of this life what you're looking for. Now, let me go to the next step. Stay with me. I can't make you love somebody, right? Think about that. If I tell you, you love God, <laughs> okay, it doesn't work like that, does it? In the same way that before I met my wife, her name is Robin, let's say somebody said, hey, you see that woman? Love her. Well, it doesn't work like that. Love has to be compelled. She has to capture my heart. Something has to happen within me. Wow. And over time and relationship, and I get to know her, I fall in love. You can't just tell me to love somebody instantaneously. Okay, I love you. No, it doesn't work like that. And so when I met Robin, I thought, wow, I got to get to know this girl. So I spent time with her. I actually talked to her. I learned everything I could about her. I pursued her. And as a pursuing occurs, I caught her. And I fell in love. And we got married. And now nobody has to say, I command you to love her. It comes out of a resource inside, a well that springs up in me, she has captured my heart and I love her. Same way with God. I can't command you to love God. You either do or you don't. Something happened somewhere in your life where your eyes were open to who Jesus is and you thought, wow, I mean, he's the Lord of the universe and one day he's returning. 
He forgave me of my sin. God is holy. And because of him, I can go into the presence of the living God. So I want to get to know this Jesus. I want relationship with this Jesus. So I'm going to pursue this Jesus because he's the first love of my life. Now, that's the easy question. Do you love Jesus? Now, if you say you do, the Bible gives you a telltale test. If you say you do, the Bible says this will be present in you. And I don't think you're going to be surprised to find out that it's not how good you are. If you really love God, you're going to be real good. The Bible says you can't. That doesn't mean we're not going to try to be righteous people and live a righteous life because we believe the abundant life of Christ is associated with that. But it's not the test of whether you love Jesus or not, that you never fail or you never sin. Aren't you glad to know that? Let me tell you what it is. The Bible says if you truly love God, then you're doing the same thing with God that you would do with any other relationship. You're pursuing God. And the Bible says the way you pursue God, in, the own, in Jesus' own words, so the parable of the seed and the sower, the way that you pursue God and the way I know you're telling the truth about your love for God is that you pursue relationship through prayer and the word. If you're going through your life and you seldom pray, you occasionally throw out a prayer bomb to God to see if he's listening. But you see prayer as something to get God to do what you need him to do rather than a relationship with God where you are reading the Psalms and the Proverbs, you're reading the word of God and the word of God's getting into you and it's catalyzing prayer that you ask God to make you more like he intended you to be. If you're not pursuing God and the words of God, then the Bible says, don't say that you love God. If you love God and he's at the top of your reordered loves, then I'm going to know there's this activity in your life. The activity of you seeking to know God through prayer and through scripture. I didn't say that you do it every moment of every day, but there is a sense of regularity. There is a discipline in your life. What you love, you pursue. You can't help it. I love golf. I read about golf. I talk about golf. I play golf. If you love God, you read about God. You talk about God and you pursue relationship with God. And here's the reality. Every person in the room, you got to ask yourself, man, where are you with God? How do you know that? Where are you with your prayer life? This is Today with Jeff Vines and his message, Do You Love God Really? Thanks for joining us. Let's continue. Where are you with your prayer life? Where are you? Five categories in the room. Some of you are like this. Man, you are sailing. The Spirit of God, the winds of the Spirit are blowing through your sails. You're in a strong boat that's sturdy and the identifying mark of your life is peace. You understand that to love God is to enter in relationship with him. It's not about ritual. It's not about just coming to church and giving a little bit of money and singing a few songs. It's about what you do every day of the week in walking and talking and pursuing God. And because you're doing that, it's uncanny how the Spirit of God is giving you word revelation, words that you have read at the right time and the right place in your life so that you're on cloud nine and you feel like God speaks to you all the time. And people come to you and they say, would you pray for me? Because they see something different in you. They know that you've spent time with God. They want somebody to pray with them that spent time with God. And so the spirit of God is blowing through your life into troubled waters, into calm waters, but it doesn't matter because you know that God works everything together for good and he's speaking to you all the time because you've invested in relationship. You hear his voice, you understand his voice. And the identifying mark of your life is peace. It would be difficult for me to convince you that I love Robin if I never spent time with my wife, right? 
It's difficult to convince me that you love God if you never spend time with God in hearing from his word and praying in communication and relationship. Some of you though are not sailing and I actually have a great respect for this group. Some of you are rowing. Now, if you're rowing, you're in kind of a spiritual winter. That means that you don't hear from God as much as you used to. There was a season in your life when you can remember, man, I used to really hear from God. So you're in a season right now where the wind of the spirit doesn't feel like it's blowing you into waters of correction or perfection or whatever. But at the same time, you don't fall into this thing of self-righteousness where you think that you know how your life should be going better than God. So you assume that if God has you in this place, it's for a season and a purpose. So you pick up the oars and you start rowing as hard as you can. Even though you don't sense God's presence like you used to, you know how important it is to remain in the discipline of reading the word and prayer and seeking God. And you know that if you do that, God will still be able to use you even in the midst of your spiritual desert. Not only that, but it's only a matter of time that these disciplines pay off. And again, the winds of the spirit will blow through your life. You'll hoist the sails and God will send you into those waters of perfection and correction and just do his work in you. I have a lot of respect for these people. You understand what discipline is. You understand that even when you don't feel like it, you do what is right. You still pursue relationship in the same way. Sometimes I don't feel like being nice to my wife. Can you believe I said that as a pastor? Sometimes I don't feel like forgiving my wife. Sometimes I don't feel like investing in relationship. I'd rather play golf sometimes than sit down over a cup of coffee and ask Robin how the emotional state of our relationship is going. (laughs) But I do it because I love her and I'm pursuing her. Same is true of God. There's a third category, the drifters. It's a dangerous category because drifting never leads into friendly waters. If you read the story Unbroken and the true story of Louis Zamperini, he would tell you that drifting usually leads you into the enemy's hands. If you're drifting, here's the problem. Your personality is such that you believe everything has to be fun and that everything has to feel good or you're not going to do it. Now, if you're in this category, you probably would not make a good Olympic athlete because you just want to show up on race day and win the gold medal. You actually don't want to do all the discipline required to get there. So for you, you've tried prayer and Bible study a few times, but it's just not enough fun for you and you don't feel that good. And so you don't last very long. And as a result, you're not only not sailing, you're not rowing. In fact, you're just drifting. And over time, you get out of the shipping lanes and the flow of the spirit of God and you drift into places where you can't feel God. But you think it's God's fault. You've never even stopped to think it's because you stopped rowing and you stopped the discipline of reading the word and praying and entering into relationship with God. You feel lost, but you think it's his fault, not yours. You think God's abandoned you. You've not abandoned him. The problem with this category is you do get a little self-righteous in which you tell yourself that you know better how your life should be going than God. And so because God doesn't give you what you think you deserve or entitled to, you give up rowing. You say, what good is God if he doesn't give me what I want? You misunderstand. You think prayer is about getting God on your side. You've forgotten that prayer is about pursuing God in relationship and allowing him to do his work in you. And so you're drifting. What's worse, this category tends to drift into self-indulgence because you know something's missing. So you turn to other things. So you go on eating binges and you go back to an addiction that you once had so that 
You have this momentary sense of satisfaction to fill the hole that you know is in your heart and you sacrifice the future for the pleasure of the present. If you're not drifting, there is a worse category. It's the category of sinking. The problem with those who are sinking is you don't know you are. You're so far away from God because you've been drifting so long and there's no effort for relationship that even if God were to speak, you couldn't hear him because you can't remember what it's like to hear his voice. The only help or hope for you is that you have a friend that will reach down and pull you out of those waters back into community where you can start hearing and reading and praying and recognize the voice of God so that you can start rowing and sailing again. This is dangerous territory because most people who are sinking have no idea they are. They just have an overwhelming sense of frustration, of depression, of anxiety, not the chemical kind. I'm talking about the real emotional kind associated with the absence of God. But you think you're okay. It's hard for you to admit that you've moved away from God. James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. But the category that I find the majority of people in is this one. The boat is not even on the water, it's on the shore. These are the people that have never even gotten in the boat of relationship. These are the people that grow up in some kind of uh, atmosphere where they think that all, God is all about ritual. It's, it, you, know, you go through the motions, you sing some songs, you give a little money, you pray a little bit. But there's no such thing as relationship. In fact, that kind of turns them off because they want to be in control of their life and to give up control to somebody else. Oh, I'm not getting that boat. The problem is these people usually have lives that are okay. Uh, they're financially okay. Uh, they have what they need. So they think prayer is kind of for people who are weak and need kind of a crutch to survive. But they don't need that. They're happy with just God staying there and, oh, I believe in him and I believe in Jesus. He's a good guy, but I'm not going to change my life and I'm not going to pursue a relationship with God. I mean, is that even possible? God is way up there and I'm way down here. And so they keep coming to church and they give a little money from time to time and their heart is moved, but more often than not, they just kind of are happy with the way things are. Where are you? Where did the spirit of God just tell you that you are? Do you understand that this is a matter of eternity? This, this isn't a, a sermon to have some humor. You've got to find out where you are. You've got to know. Are you sailing? Are you rowing? Or are you in one of the categories that you're drifting? And soon you'll be so far away that you won't even recognize the voice of God. And the sad thing is when somebody tries to tell you, you'll get defensive and you will remain until the Lord returns. It's not a game. You, you, we're not Christians because it's the social thing to do. Who do you love? Really? What's your life about? Really? I'm going to lead you through something today. I'm going to ask the ushers to bolt the back door so nobody gets out. I'm sort of just kidding about that. I'm asking you, God is asking you for one hour of your time. That means the service is going to be shorter than it normally is. Because I'm going to lead you through some worship and prayer as your pastor. And the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is pray for a Jesus revelation. You say, I want to love God. I just don't. Then in heaven's name, you've got to pray that God allow you to see Jesus in a way you've never seen him that will catalyze love, that will compel you, that will capture your heart. The theologians call this regeneration. It's where suddenly your eyes are open. You see Jesus for who he is and you move into a saving relationship. 
Remember what the Bible says? It is possible to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that? What does Jesus say? Depart. I never knew you. There was never a relationship. It was just functionality. It was just ritual. But you never pursued me. You never heard my voice. You never became the sheep in the sheepfold and I'm the good shepherd. I'm asking you that I lead you through this. The first part that you would pray that God, whatever you do it, I'm going to be kneeling down. Some people will be kneeling up. If you want to just sit where you are, if you want to stand, whatever you need to do. But during this, we're going to lead you to a time that you pray, God, show me where I am. Show me where I am and be, God, I'm ready to hear it. Where am I and what do I need to do to get back to rowing and sailing? Lead me. You ready? Father, thank you so much for what's about to happen. We pray that your spirit would fall on this place. We pray in the same way that the apostle Paul went from killing Christians to leading them because he had a Jesus revelation on the road to Damascus that right now in Jesus name, you would do the same here, that you would open our eyes, that we would know where we truly are with you. And because we discover that we would have the courage to go forward now, re-engaging in disciplines that we know leads to the pursuit of relationship. We want to know you. We want to be with you. We want you to be at the top of our ordered loves. And so, Father, change lives in this room right now. If there are people here whose faith has grown, has grown stale, then make it come alive through some revelation that you give to them. Throughout this entire service, we give you that permission. We pray that your spirit would fall on every individual that before they leave, they would have to do some serious introspection and evaluation where they are, show them, and then lead them back into relationship. This is a matter of eternity. And we pray, Lord Jesus, you would come show us your glory. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and that's the end of Pastor Jeff's challenge to us, Do You Love God Really? You can hear this message again by heading to the Vision Christian Store. That's visionstore.org.au and click on Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.